Hi, yes, it's me again. It has been a while, but here we go. Finally, a new recording of my podcast, Helium Talk, Das Kunstgespräch. It's one of the excursion episodes with my buddy, Jonathan Levine, that we call Off the Record. Are we on the record or off the record? This is, this is off the record. This is all right. off the record. This is already the 10th Off the Record show we've been doing, and this one is special, but hey, that's why it exists. Remember my last intro? I explained why the frequency of my podcast has been reduced so much. Well, why I have reduced my digital output in general. Too much noise. But hey, that's only one of the reasons. Um, listen to Helium Talk number 80 with Ken Harmon Hashimoto and you'll know them all. Anyway, here's a new one. And I will continue to record and produce new episodes whenever I find someone to talk to that I feel you should listen to as well. I can think of a few really interesting people from the art world, for sure. So just keep an eye out for my show if you like what I'm doing. A lot has happened, but the biggest news for sure from Helium Cowboy here in Hamburg is that I have passed the torch on to the next generation and put my son Melvin in charge of the gallery so I can focus only on my art. I'll explain all this a bit more detailed in this episode, but man, it feels good not to have two full-time jobs any longer, and I can tell you I'm as relaxed as I haven't been in years. More time for my art and for my carpentry and for my old, old house in the middle of nowhere that needs some more fixing too. Alright, I'll stop right here. This is a special one. Haven't spoken with Jonathan since March and well, it is a different world now. So here we go. Lots to talk about. Let's get into the Helium Talk episode number 81, a new special of Off the Record with Jonathan Levine. Helium Talk. Helium Talk. Helium Talk. You're recording this? This is all I'm on the record? The We're not ready yet. Should we go on the record now? I mean, it's, yeah, like I want to, yeah, let's do that. because I thought you and I were just, just shooting one shit. more thing. Yeah, but it's yeah. fine. I mean, it's okay. You listen, Jonathan, I haven't done a podcast in a long time. Sure. I think this is the first recording in two months. Sure. So can we start now? Yeah, we can start now. What did you say when you're ready? I'm ready. All right. So how have you been all these months? <laughs> <laughs> we should mention, maybe we should mention that uh, we had already had this conversation, but I yeah. realized I said some things I didn't want to say publicly. Yeah. So yeah. Well, now you're on the record. Yeah. I'm um, on the record. Everything you're going to say is going to be published, broadcasted around the world. So I've been good. Um, I, I've actually been surprisingly good well through COVID. And I think one of the reasons why is because um I live by myself. I have a very nice little house that I live in, which I enjoy. And I live in the suburbs, 10 miles outside of the city. I can see the skyline from my house. Um, but when it got warm out, I could be outside. So uh, that was a really easy thing. I would wake up every day and I'd just like grab my lawn chair and I'd put it in the driveway and I'd grab my computer and I'd sit in my driveway all day working. And I'd see my neighbors and their kids and they're like, hi, her, their kids call me Mr. Jonathan. They're like pretty young, like three, four, five, six. You know, I started to have better relationships with, with my neighbors. Um, I started like, you know, I started buying shopping online like a lot of people do. And I like bought these like kick scooters, the kind of kick the kids use. I bought a trick one that you can do tricks on. So I started goofing around on the street in front of my house with this <laughs> kick scooter. Then I bought a BMX bike. And I ended up meeting a whole bunch of my neighbors and getting to know them better as a result of being outside every day throughout the spring and summer. Um, I spent a lot of time hanging out with my friends in their backyards, drinking too much. would be not uncommon for a handful of us to get together and drink an entire bottle of tequila. 
So I was definitely drinking more, but I was also working out more. And, uh, you know, obviously all the things happening in the United States with uh, the unrest with like Black Lives Matters and issues with the police and obviously, you know, our extremely toxic president mm-hmm. who I'm beyond thrilled is no longer going to be our president. And I'm kind of a news junkie and I read the news like New York Times in the morning and at night, sometimes in the afternoon. I read a lot of other news sources as well, which sometimes isn't good for me, uh, truth be told, because it's just like all negative. Um, so I try to keep sort of, you know, on top of that. I mean, the, the whole COVID created a whole different experience of living for me and for a lot of other people. And I actually rekindled friendships. I have a friend I talked to like, I was speaking to him like once a week, every Friday night, we'd have like these, uh, we, t- we, we'd like do FaceTime and we drink. It was like happy hour, but it was, he's three hours behind me. And we talk about all sorts of different interesting things. And, um, he actually lives in Portland, Oregon, and I live in, uh, Rutherford, New Jersey. So we're three hours away from each other. Um, we would do that every week. I'd speak to him and his wife and he's a good friend of mine that we went to college together. Uh, like, 20 years ago, we lived in the same house. Was it, no, 30 years ago. I'm sorry. <laughs> 30 wow. years ago. And we sort of loosely stayed in touch. But during this, we got we basically talk every week now. We became mm-hmm. really good friends again. So you just sort of like it, realize what's important to you. And, you know, I definitely became closer to my neighbors and really helping each everyone looking to help each other out and all that sort of thing. So that's been – for me, there's – COVID has been really kind of good for me because it took a lot of financial stress off of me because everyone's struggling and I, I've done okay, but you know, I also had some help from the government and that sort of thing. Cause I have a small business. So that was all very helpful. Um, and you know, I just, you know, you, you live day to day and I think it's really important. I think it's an important way for people to live. Everyone's like sort of always on this, you know, in this hamster wheel trying to make a buck or whatever, live their lives. And, you know, as a result, I probably became closer to a lot of my neighbors and got to know them better and friends and family. And I mean, I don't really see my family because um, my mother is in her late seventies and she's got health issues. She's got heart issues because she, she had a heart attack. And so she's got underlying conditions and I'm just nervous that I'll get her sick, even though I'm, I'm pretty safe. So I don't really see her. Um, so that's kind of a bummer. Some of those things, but as a whole, there was a lot of silver linings and with my relationship with people that, and, and just getting back to basics and what's really important. So COVID for me has been interesting. And now I didn't tell you this, it's getting to be winter time. So I started getting cold and I'm in the Northeast and winter is around the corner. So it's a day before Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving Eve today. And uh, at the end of December, I at the, at the beginning of January, I'm going to Florida for three to four months. Okay. I'm going to be what's called a snowbird at 52 years old. Do you know what a snowbird is? Have you ever heard that before? Somebody who escapes the winter into warmer regions. That's right. I'm going to be like all the, uh, it's a very stereotypical that I'll be in South Florida. 
I'm going to be staying around just north of Miami, about an hour, half an hour to an hour north of Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Boynton Beach. Uh, it's a big stereotype that like Northeasterners go down there and specifically Italians and Jews. And I am Italian and Jewish, as you know. So I actually have a shit ton of relatives down there because they have places down there because that's what they do. They, they do the stereotype. It's a stereotypical thing. So I have cousins down there and friends and family and stuff like that. So I'm actually staying at my aunt's condo, which I'm very excited about in a nice complex. And there's a pool. So this winter I'm going to be at the pool on the beach in my lawn chair, working away like it was the summer. And it's going to be the first time I've been wanting to do this for years that I'm actually doing it. So this is like a big excitement for me. I'm actually cannot wait for the holidays to be over because Thanksgiving's tomorrow and this is where it's, and then it's black Friday on Friday. Today's Wednesday, right? And mm -hmm. then the holiday season starts, whatever that means this year for us all, because we're on lockdown. But um, for me tomorrow, um, my plan is to stay home and I am going to cook turkey meatballs for the first time. I've never made them before. I'm cooking more and I'm making uh, a nice turkey uh, gravy. Very excited. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, I think cooking is um, probably more people have learned to cook in the past months. Yes, I've learned to cook a lot more. So, so that's on a nutshell what's been happening with me. How about mm -hmm. you? Have you discussed this on other podcasts? Nobody wants to no. hear it. No, I mean, just... no, I've I haven't I haven't done many podcasts. There's some, you know, I mean, um, I also said this earlier. I think it's just it's just too much digital garbage out there, and and too much digital content has been released over the past months. Uh, I think there has been an increase in podcasts in at least five thousand percent since January, February, March. Um, and I've, I've found myself listening to podcasts with artists that I actually know and appreciate that I've then started to, to listen to in the third podcast they've been recording, even though they always say the same and there was nothing really interesting. So I decided that, uh, this podcast mostly costs me a lot of time that I only will do this if I have uh, a very interesting person to talk to and if I think it has a has a bigger meaning um yeah maybe I just wait for the the right moments to do these like with you now you know I mean that's uh, that's perfect we're both in a in a situation I think where it makes a lot of sense to talk here I must say I mean I'm I'm in a very privileged position because I have a family and I'm running my own business uh which of course is a difficult business these days but basically for everyone so you know nothing too much to complain about it's it's in in my own hands so that's what i always kind of like in the beginning of the whole thing i was um, i was briefly considering closing the gallery immediately because i just didn't want to go through another financial crisis like we did between 2008 and 2010 11 because that was fucked up um but i didn't want to crawl through that again uh, and uh, but then then there's always just like this a little bit of fighter in me. And I said, well, maybe it's interesting to see what we can do now with the time we have and um, not being able to do shows, not being able to open the gallery. And Melvin, my son, who's been working with me since 2017 now as a manager here at the gallery, the first question was, so am I out of a job now? And I said, no, you're actually having more work to do than before because we, 
we got into strengthening online positioning and thinking about exhibition concepts that can work because you know from our former talks you know that um i personally believe that the gallery system like it's still being done in most places all over the world is not really functioning anymore for 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 these days and there has to be you know so we've been thinking about what could change it's very difficult to find these answers but in the time like this maybe it's a good time to you know, have a little time to think about that. And so everybody's basically who's still staying in the business thinks about, you know, different ideas. Even though now it's taking quite some time, a lot of galleries have just simply said we're going to close at least for a couple of months until we know when we can open again because, of course, it's a little bit frustrating if you have a show and you can only open for very few people or not at all. And we all know art is very communicative business. You need to talk to people. You need to hang around with people. And we did a couple of shows here that uh, where we had you know registered visitors where we had openings that went for over the whole weekend so people could come we could allow groups small groups like with the last show with eight people of eight people at the same time everybody at the book slot for half an hour so it's nice to be able to do that and um but it's basically not what i really want to do <laughs> um uh, but so we're working around those things but with uh, with the last exhibition in september that we did uh, after the very weird opening then, with lots of people actually coming, um, I was getting up the next day and I was saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop doing this. All that means is that I actually did what I've been trying to do since 2015. I, I, um, I uh, resigned from all my official duties here in the gallery. I handed over the reins to Melvin, who's the new gallerist of Helium Cowboy, and I'm just focusing on my art. And I seriously, I must say, um, Melvin is doing a great job. The first show he's doing is just open. It's just pretty successful, actually, doing nice sales. You know, I mean, can't complain. If this would have been my first exhibition, I'd just sort of be totally amazed. But, I mean, he did a nice show. Four new artists that we haven't shown yet, three of them that I didn't even really know before. Um, he came up with his concept for the show. Uh, so he's doing a good job. He's... Um, He's probably one of the youngest gallerists in Germany now, and I'm probably the youngest gallerist to retire at 52. <laughs> um, but I mean, Helium Cover still exists, but it, you know, Mevin is now you know shaping it and how it's going to go. And I have my studio here. I have my studio in the countryside, um, and I'm helping him strategically, of course. Um, but that's um, that's basically the biggest news that happened here, and I think. I've been I've been caught in this in this struggle between trying to work for artists and trying to do my own art uh, because that's what you do as a gallerist. It's sometimes forgotten that you're working for other people, um, of course for your own benefit. But I mean, if you would just otherwise, then it would be charity, you know. But that you're taking on artists, you know, we talked about this. It's a huge risk, you know. Sometimes you have the feeling, especially when you've been doing this for such a long time, that you haven't been maybe. You know, so they have been maybe taken for granted in what you're doing. And um, I had all these things, you know, sort of in the back of my mind, which I thought I don't need anymore. Never, ever in my life again. So that also played a bit of a part that I said, okay, I do it now and not just in January or so. I'm doing it now, right now. This is the minute. Now I'm telling Melvin, Melvin, do you want to take over? Do you want to be the gallery of Helium Cowboy? I'm just, I don't want to do it anymore. So here's the key. <laughs> You know, I'll help you. I'll set it up. We have transition time. You're basically on a fantastic basis, but I'm the fuck out of here. You know, it sounds, it sounds to me, you, I bet you, you know what? You're just taking a break. I bet you come back to it. <laughs> <laughs>
No, I'm not making. I, I promise you, Jonathan. You know okay. so that I will <laughs> never ever wear the title of gallerist ever again. If Melvin doesn't want to do it in a year's time or thinks it sucks or it doesn't work, the business doesn't work, then Helium Cowboys is over. I'm just that's one thing. You know, that's one of so, the things. Oh, wait, wait, one, so. one, one, one thing. One thing to close this. Uh, when I um, when I decided to quit my last job in 2001, I was always just doing a job, going back to art, doing job, doing art at the side, doing an exhibition here, going into a job, doing really interesting things. But when I decided to rent a studio, do shows, and I had my first exhibition 2001 in Hamburg, I had this fantastic space and I started to do exhibitions and uh, and and then Helium Cowboy Room became one of the probably most important galleries of that era, at least in Europe. And so I always try to get back into my art. And for the past years, that has been super successful and has partly paying the gallery, you know, sort of when there right. were shows right. that didn't work well. But, you know, one thing that I ask myself <clears throat> is you're always committed to everybody else. And where is that commitment that you've made 20 years ago to yourself? You said, OK, now fuck this. I'm going to be an artist no matter what. And now it's, it's basically, it's the last moment for me to be true to my to the commitments I made to myself. And uh, all I want to do now is art. And, uh, and that's, I don't think that there's a way back uh, into this, what I'm doing, right, that what I've been doing until last month. And when people see me now, they say, oh, you look really, really, you're really relaxed, you know? And that's, um, I really enjoy this right now. I really enjoy this right now. Uh, so people don't know that I have a giant smile on my face and I'm just grinning ear to ear. You do, because we can see each other. But sure. uh, but I'm smiling too. It's hilarious though, because yeah. it's, it's funny because, you know, I obviously relate to a lot of things you're saying. Uh, I am not a visual artist. I mean, I have a degree and I used to make art, you know, I have an art degree and I used to make art, but that's not my, that's not what I do. Um, and, but I understand everything else you're saying. And you and I obviously have, have had a lot of similar experiences. And it's funny because I've spoken to a bunch of people this year who I haven't spoken to in a while. And everyone's like, you sound so much better. You sound so much happier. And it took me a while to realize that even at the height of my gallery, the whole time, the part mm -hmm. of me was really unhappy because it was like, it's such a challenging job. And so now as I figure out what I do, what I'm doing is I move forward, which is not going to necessarily be what everybody else does. And I'm not going to even try to compete with anybody else. I'm just going to kind of be like, this is how I work. If you want to work with me, this is how mm -hmm. I do it. If you don't, if you want to, if you're going to compare me to other galleries and other galleries do this and that, let's just not work together. Cause you know what? I don't need you. And it's like, there's a more than enough artists for me to work with in the way that I work that it can be beneficial for both of us, you know? So it's mm -hmm. kind of like, but you know, you made me think about like the, 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 the flip side is it is a very challenging business and all these like, and, and this is no disrespect to a lot of the artists we work with, No, but artists as a whole, even the really good ones, the nature of their, what they do is very self-absorbed. So they can be very self-absorbed sometimes. Yeah. And that's, some of them are just, just really difficult. And quite frankly, I don't really have the energy to deal with that. If you're making me a ton of money, I'll put up with your shit. Otherwise it's not worth it because at the end of the day, the thing that's, this is me sounding like, a, you know, an angry gallerist. But like the fact is, you know, I've been through stuff. I work with artists for years. And when 
shit went sideways for me, you know, nobody was like knocking on my door going like, Hey man, are you okay? Nobody really remembers or realizes how much you did for them. They, they kind of, it's all about them a lot of times, not all the time. Um, it's a little disheartening, but like, it's, I don't mean, is this the nature of the business? I don't know. Um, well, I mean, the, it's the nature of people and it's not even an artist thing. I don't know, but I mean, I personally won't approach it in the same way as I did before, because at the end of the day, it hurt me. Um, mm -hmm. and it, and it made me angry and you know, you don't want to be in, you know, you don't want to, it's, it's what we do is very challenging. Um, mm -hmm. and if it was so easy and so great, you'd have way more galleries doing it, but it's just, it's a very, and like you said, you know, you kind of feel underappreciated because every time you work with an artist, you're taking a risk. Mm -hmm. You're always taking nothing. Sometimes, you know, we, we have artists that we know it's going to do, they're going to do really well, but like the, 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 these days, nobody's no art. As long as we've been in the, in the business, artists have been basically not, um, exclusive with you. And so like, you'll have a show with them. It'll be really great. And so then all of a sudden they're like, well, you made all this money off me. So they start kind of calling the shots and the next show you don't sell anything. So mm -hmm. like the market's so up and down, it's like, um, I don't know where exactly I was going. There's just a lot of risk and that you do. And at the end of the day, you're like, what do I have for that? Like, what do you know? So I can understand you being, you know, frustrated and about that kind of thing i think i think i mean th that's but it's not the reason why why i'm why, why i've done this step i've planned to do this step like since 2015 I, then i hired the first person we worked for almost a year didn't work out then i hired the next person and we worked for almost a year and it didn't work out then melvin stepped in because we had this big show ahead of us and he was the only one that i could rely upon at that point because he had the time he was just out of school and everything and he did a great job i mean he basically grew up here he knows a lot of the i mean the old artists the old I mean, not necessarily in age but the artists that we've been working with for many many years years you know so like the names like boris hopper so we're still friends you know sure. and basically boris and melvin sat together at our living room table and your know, kitchen table and and drew little, little tiny characters with penises and vaginas when melvin was a little kid you know right. so so that's that's their friends that's like that's how he grew up so he understands sure. these things but um but it's i think especially in in, in, in you know, sort of, and and the decision to work with artists is someone that you have to be quite clear about. Uh, if you have a really good artist, um, that's what that's what this artist makes really great is that it's 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 pure and it's what the artist does, what he wants to do and what he strives to do. It's not a not a designer or not somebody you can tell go this way and go this way. You can maybe be a, a strategic help in certain points, but you're always going stepping back, you know, behind the artist. That's basically how I wanted to the kind of gallerist that I wanted to be all the time, just to support these, 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 these people, um, to, to be able to do the best work they, they have in them. And sure. that necessarily isn't, doesn't necessarily mean you make money with this, but of course you also have to make money. That's this. right. But I think especially in that. So, but for me, the decision was, I need the time. I don't, I, I've been doing two jobs, you know, for almost 20 years and, and both jobs are very time consuming and I have a family and I have, you know, sort of other things that I'm doing and I like to do. And, and the only, the only 
the only way where I can combine all the things I really like to do with with one of these jobs. That's the job of the artist because I basically I don't have to give a fuck about what other people think and if they like what I'm doing or if they think it's the right thing to do or if they say you know sort of I don't you know sort of they don't they don't have they have no word in what I'm doing. They can say I like it or not, but then fine. You know, so fine. That's that's nice. They can give me constructive feedback. I'm happy about it. Sure, but I wanted as a gallerist. That's much more challenging. A lot less rewarding. Um, and and in the past years, I think we've seen a development in 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 in, in the arts that has taken a lot of the artists away from this. You know, so, I mean, I've you know fuck it, I'm an artist. And most artists today is like, yeah, I'm an artist, so how do I look on Instagram? Um, wh how, wh what can I do to make everybody happy and to be successful? And we talked about this in former off-the-record shows that artists today try to get into group shows around the world and then they have a long list of galleries, good names. But I mean, look at larger galleries and smaller galleries. They're all doing group shows with hundreds of artists over the year. You know, so today it's not really important. You know, so I have the feeling it's much more important where you show than what you show and what you exhibit. And of course, there's the other kind of the other breed of artists still, but I think there's just like talking about the oversaturation. And then it gets kind of, for me as a gallerist, it gets kind of difficult to stay true to a group of artists, you know, and that is something that frustrated me more, more than individuals, you know, I mean, I like the artists that I'm working with, and uh, years ago I've made the decision to not work with assholes, um, and I think we've we've done quite okay there, it's not always possible because you don't know these people enough, but I think in most cases, and it's, it's, it's become an even more selfish business out there and it's become a business for many artists. And as an artist, the business side should be something that Jonathan takes care of or now Melvin takes care of. The gallerist takes care of the business side of things. When I see artists negotiating with clients about artworks, fuck you, that's not your job. You shouldn't even put a price tag on the work. You should say, this is my work. If you want to buy it, buy it from this person because he's the one who knows the financials. I'm just happy when I can pay my rent and this person looks after me. And that's the ideal situation because then you don't think about, hmm, I made this. You know, look at all these artists who copy themselves, if they don't copy others, over and over and over again. They have one idea. And with some artists, yes, that works course okay it works you know some artists it works they have this line and they do this over and over again and they become big but now go on instagram follow look at some artists you know sort of they do look at the abstract art that's happening right now i can make 10 shows with almost exact same artworks in 10 countries with different artists everywhere and you could not necessarily tell that it's different artists. Or the artists that take one work, oh, it works, and then they blow it up, they do it five times, they do it 10 times, they do it 20 times. And that's not part of their concept. It's part of the concept, fine. But it's not part of the concept, it's part of a financial plan. It's a part of becoming, thinking, it's a part of a strategy. And that's where where they basically, where, where, where you're losing me. Can I, can, I, can I interject? Definitely, please, before I, you know, sort of, um, I have to go off the record again. <laughs> so, what I would say about this is like, be a devil's advocate, um, because that's I'm always like this kind of neutral guy. Actually, it might not sound like I am, but I'm. I always try to be fairly neutral. I, my, as, as a matter of fact, I've been criticized for it. But um, 
I try to be empathetic and I understand like artists are like, well, why should I give you half my money or I can do this better. You're working with so many artists and blah, blah, blah. And you're, you know, you're talking about the old school. Mm-hmm. Well, artists are like, well, I can make more money doing this myself. And like the rest of us, people are ambitious, big egos, whatever. I have a huge ego. Um, that I'm always struggling with and I will to the, to the day I die. Um, and you know, they're like, well, why should I give them half money? I can make it myself. That's my money. So like, um, they're, they're sort of like, yeah, I would, the world changed. So like my whole thing is, which we go back to is like, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. In regards to like artists, not so much us, but them. They want to be able to do what they want on their own and then have you do stuff for them too. Can't do that. Um, and so, but I agree with you. Um, I would say as a whole, like I'm still in the game, obviously, uh, quietly. I mean, I don't know if it seems like I'm active. I'm not really sure. I'm not as active as I used to be um, in terms of showing new artists. I've been doing online shows. Yeah, I have one opening in a week and a half with an artist named P- Peter. I'm going to butcher his last name. Yule. It's like Y-U-I-L-L. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. So part Peter, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry if I butchered your last name. Um, he actually lives in Hong Kong, but he's Canadian. And he does these sort of geometric work, abstract geometric work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little different than when I, I'm, I'm exploring other areas, but my goal as a gallerist is not what it was before. Like my goal as a galler, gallerist was to be the guy, the lowbrow guy, the pop surrealist guy, the street art guy who took all those artists and put them together. And I always, I had based this on being a big admirer of Leo Castelli. Do you know who Leo Castelli is? You know, he was like the, yeah. he was like the famous sixties art deal. I mean, he died in the early nineties, but he like had, you know, all the pop artists underneath him. Right. So I wanted to be that guy, but there's no room for that. The movements aren't like that. Artists are not loyal to a gallery and they're not loyal to each other. Quite frankly, I always felt like all these artists that were in this one group, they were loyal to each other as long as it was good for them. Mm -hmm. But when it wasn't, it wasn't. And I, you know, and if they're all not committed to it as a whole, then it doesn't work. So, and I did that. I, my goal was to set out to do that. And I did that to the best of my ability with the resources I had in the way that I wanted to do it. Like, listen, I could have gotten a backer and handled this very differently and still be in business in a different way. But I'm like a punk rock guy and I'm like a purist as much as I could be. And, uh, I did it. It's done. It's over. I don't think someone's going to replicate what I did. And I don't have desire to replicate it. So like moving forward, I'm not really, I'm just kind of like feeling my way. I don't know where I was going with this. I'm kind of feeling my way through to sort of understand how I can function in the market, but it's not going to be in the way my competitors do. And so I've been doing these online exhibitions. And like, as I think what I was getting back to is there is a ton of content. Mm -hmm. And when, as soon as COVID hit, everybody was like, we're doing online exhibitions. It's like, it's kind of what you were doing anyway with the physical space. It's really not different. But mm-hmm. so they started using a couple different words and I'm like, all this content is so fucking boring. I'm not interested. I know that I'm doing it, but like, I'm really just doing it occasionally. I'm doing it with artists that I really like, honestly, 
I'm not, you know, trying to shove it down your throat. If you connect with it, great. If you don't, you don't. Um, and, you know, with the artists that I work with, that I've been working with, um, they're not locked down to me. And if something develops organically, it'll develop organically long-term relationships, but it's not going to be in a traditional sense at all. It's like, I don't even know. I'm just taking it day by day. And if it makes sense for us to work together and they're satisfied, and I'm satisfied and we're having a good time, then great. But I just don't even know. Otherwise you still can't, you can't see what's going to, you can't see what's going to happen. I mean, quite frankly, I'm pretty happy with the fact that like seemingly I have some, some new artists that I'm working with a new kind of direction I'm going in um, with different type of work. And quite frankly, I'm not taking it as seriously. I'm really just enjoying it. And for me, that's important for me. It's all about, is this fun for me? Am I having a good time? Obviously you're like, does it make sense with my brand? Even though I'm not even sure what my brand is anymore. I mean, I am my brand, right? So I'm changing. So it's now I'm in a, a place of discovery, which is going to take a while. Um, but any, I'm not sure if I'm making, you know, have it. Yeah, but you know, John, you're doing it from a per completely different perspective. I mean, you have, okay, you have not become Leo Castelli because there could have been only one. And it has been a completely different era. But you have, as Jonathan Levine, become a legend on your own in, in during these times. And for a certain kind of art that wouldn't have been you know, sort of possible without you and other drivers from that time. And it's just like a, it's a group of people that people remember, you know, sort of that, that helped grow something special. And now, you know, sort of due to the circumstances you're in, you, 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 you had to retreat. You could have closed everything down and said, you know, it doesn't work. You know, it's just, I have to, you know, go away or go on hibernation and think about what I'm doing. But without a, a, a pandemic locking you down, locking you into a room, you did all started doing online exhibitions. So it's not like everybody's now trying to get the attention of the people out there who can't come into physical spaces. You were doing this. And if I, if I, from my perspective, it was never like, Hey, I'm doing an online exhibition. So I was like, we have a new exhibition. Here's the link. You know, and that's what most people see around the world because not everybody can come to New New Jersey, Drugsford, exactly. and go to the show. So, so it's not the the emphasis is not about hey, look how great it looks online. The emphasis is you can also check it out online, and and now we're in in times where of course every gallery is kind of. Uh, uh, dependent upon you know sort of how they look online, and we had this discussion in our last podcast when you said America's so much 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 further advanced in regards to online sales and people buying online. That has gotten a big boost here in Germany too, but most galleries are still not sort of prepared or not ready for 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 online. And there are there are questions raised when I mean we have a we have a really good online shop. We have a really good online database. You can go to our website and to a certain extent can buy almost every work. The ones that are really complicated and complex to ship, you know, and are super expensive. I you know, I kind of like the inquiry way, you know, so so we can yeah. talk. Yeah. But basically for most works, you can go on the website, you can click it, put in your shopping cart, put three other works in there, bam, check it. We can only, we don't even have any, have to have any interaction, which of course everybody wants, you know, so it's difficult. It's not like, you know, so it's still not so easy to sell like this, but it works. It can work. Like theoretically it works. And in some cases with some works, people do that. Um, but then when you talk to other galleries, they're just like, yeah, but what about the PayPal fees? Yeah, there are fees. What about the fees the shopping system takes? What about 
you know, sort of somebody wants to return it. And it's it, where I think, you know, people are thinking too much about the whole online thing um, in, in, on the back end. You should just like, if you can open your, you know, sort of your 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 showroom and have people look at it, just give him, you know, that's where you're a service provider. You're not the gallerist who stands next to the work and can talk about the artist. That's where you have to let go of what a gallerist actually makes, you know. And and I think you've had a lot of experience. You've had done it for many, many years. I've done it for many, many years. It's I've I've spoken with thousands of people over even more artworks and art and not more artists, but I mean like, you know, so you know what I mean. And it's 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 okay for sometimes to let go. Uh, and just not let the people give the feeling that online is something special. Online is just part of the business now. But if you want something special, you still have to either have the legacy that you have, you know, like the history that you have. So if I buy work from you, from Jonathan Levine, if I go onto your website and look at the work, I'm buying it from Jonathan Levine. I'm not buying it from a small gallery in Kaiserslautern that I've never been to, and now I'm in Idaho, and I buy this from a small gallery in Germany. That's difficult, you know, but it's it's you behind all these things. So why not take the time to explore it? I think, I think the one thing that COVID has done to, to digital and online is right now there's everybody's trying, you know, so very hard. Some people are doing very well, you know, so some people, we have a gallery concept in Berlin. They just did a really nice online exhibition, but the online exhibition itself is a piece of art. It's digital art, you know, so I don't know, but you know, so I think that's, 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 it's. I don't want to even think about those things anymore. I want to discuss them with Melvin. You know, at uh, when we have a barbecue yeah, I mean, in the country at, outside. At you the know, end of the day it's it's all kind of boring. Mm -hmm. It's kind of boring, mm -hmm. and you know, it's it's that's how it seems to me. It seems like it's it's kind of boring, and I kind of like refuse to. I've spent so much time thinking about it and trying to gauge in it, and it doesn't make up for actually having a physical exhibition or having these experiences. But oh. the flip side for me is doing the physical exhibitions and running a gallery doesn't make sense either, either because it's too much work and it costs too much money. So, you know, what do you do with that? So again, I'm still just kind of exploring it. What I've been doing, one of the things I've been doing is I've been creating, I'm not trying to create all this content because con too much content's boring, but I mean, I know that even, but what I've been doing is for almost all my exhibitions I've been doing online is I'm creating a video profile. Mm -hmm. So I did this show with Kip Amalade back in September and he's in New Jersey. So it was easy. And I have a guy I work with who's a filmmaker. He went down and created a video profile and we shared that, mm -hmm. um, that came with the exhibition. And I just did a show with, uh, Juan Casas Francisco. Did I even say his name? I'm so I'm the worst with names. The Spanish guy who draws yeah. these insane paintings with a yeah. big pen. With you know? pen. Yeah. Juan, I'm sorry if I said your name wrong. Um, Juan, probably. And so we did. I but he did. We did, he's in he's in Spain. So we mm -hmm. already he already had some video content. So we shared that. The show coming up with Peter, who lives in Hong Kong. The other night, he actually because we're like 11 hours apart. He's 11 hours ahead of me. It was like 10 o'clock at night here. Mm -hmm. I sat and interviewed him like we're doing right now, and he was filmed at the same time. So we're creating content for that. The show I have coming up with this girl, Jenna, she's in Long Island. 
my guy go out and create content with her. So I've been doing that, creating little content, like doing some things that I think are interesting, but kind of trying not to really be like, I don't think my strength is ever, I can't compete um, really with um, a traditional gallery. Um, I mean, quite frankly, I'm better than most small galleries just online, period, just because my bandwidth is so huge. I was doing this for so long. I have such a huge following that it makes it worthwhile for people. Um, but you know, like a comparable gallery that's physically there. I can't really, I don't know if I can really compete with that. And I don't really care. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just working with artists that I like that. I think I can sell their work and we can have a good time, you know, and that's it. And trying to figure it out way that way, you know, I mean, I will eventually, do some physical shows, but it has to make financial sense. Otherwise it's just not worth it. I mean, listen, if I had a ton of money where I could just support artists and not worry about making money, that'd be another story, but I'm not there. Um, I still have to make a living and worry about my future and retirement and all the same things that any typically middle-class person needs to worry about. Like, People don't think of gallerists as being middle class because you generate so much money. I generate a ton of money for a lot of people who make a lot more money than me. I'm middle class. Um, and it's fine. I don't mind being middle class. Uh, I just want a good, you know, and, and being middle class is actually takes a lot of pressure off of you in regards to like having to make a lot of money or something like, I guess I can live off of not very much and be happy. So that's good, you know. But uh, people don't think of dealers as being middle class, certainly not me, um, who was like pretty high profile and generating millions of dollars every year. But that was all going to the business. So, uh, yeah, I don't know where I was going with this. It's just kind of. But, you know, that's the thing. I mean, uh, I mean, it just gets a little bit back to the point that, you know, I was rambling about before. Um, the money side is 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 in good hands with gallerists. I mean, yes, most gallerists are middle class if if at all, you know, because they are taking usually the money they make with shows and pour them into the next show or at least in the rent for the next three months when they probably might not sell one work. Um, and, uh, and, and when you're an artist, do you think the artists of the sixties and seventies and eighties, nineties, they've been thinking nineties, maybe, but eighties, they've been thinking about making a lot of money with their art. They just wanted to do the art. And I think that's oh, what's, okay. that's what's, and that's why we have different galleries. Now we don't have program galleries to take on an artist and work with this artist 20 years later. You know, I mean, just, just look at artists that, that, that I'm, you know, sort of that helium cowboy is still working with. And yes, Melvin will, will change the regiment in certain parts because it's, it, it, you know, sort of putting him in the driver's seat, all, the seat also means he doesn't like all the artists that I've been working with. So he shouldn't work with them anymore mm -hmm. if he doesn't want to work mm -hmm. with them anymore. And, um, and, but there are certain artists that I've been working with more or less almost since the beginning that, that will stay with the gallery for more years. But, but I mean, most galleries out there, they don't deal with a handful of artists and build them up and, 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 and create a, a career for them. Um, that's not based upon, upon financial results in the end, because that's nothing that, you know, sort of, going repeating myself there's nothing as an artist you should necessarily be worried about when it's about your artwork you know so i think 
us being middle class as as gallerists is or um, not being seen as middle class as gallerists is because there's also just the wrong news in the newspapers all the time when people who are not part of this business read about galleries they read about the upper one percent of the galleries they read about the basquiat that's been auctioned for one hundred four millions and they say wow a lot of people get rich with this but the rich people get rich other uh, people like us we just work you know and we just try to create an environment to to show the art that yes we pick that's probably i think that's where we're not middle class so that's where a gallerist is not middle class because a good gallerist he doesn't pick by instagram likes or by success he picks by what he believes he or she believes is something people should see in this gallery and i think most galleries at least that i know that i'm friends with they work after that principle they don't show artists because they're super successful they show artists because they feel they have to show them. They want to show this work. And the success might come in the end, it might come never, you know. And I think that part being kind of a little bit, it's an ugly word, but being a gatekeeper, I think, in that part, a gallerist has, um, that's probably the riches of being a gallerist that you you can choose and pick. Yeah, but here's the know? thing, right? It's not like somebody bestows that on you. It's something you take or something you just do. It's mm -hmm. not like... It wasn't like there was this hole and somebody needed like, God, we really need a gallerist to represent these artists. It wasn't like, no, you decided that. And you decided I was going you're going to take your time and energy and your resources and you're going to go and do that. Like that all sprouts from you, at least yeah. it did for me. And I, I think it does for most gallerists. And cause like why that it's not like you wake up unless you grow up in a family of gallerists, then you're not even going to understand it. It wasn't any point in my life. I even understood what a gallerist was. It wasn't like when I was growing up, my parents were like, you should grow up and be a gallerist. You know, it's like when I <laughs> told my parents I was going to go to art school, they're just like, what are you, what? How are you going to make money? I mean, my mother was, my mother always thought I was going to be like in theater and she thought I was going to be like a, involved with like set design or something like that. Cause I was a maker. I was creative. I was in the theater. I was in this, all this kind of stuff. She thought maybe that's what I would do. And that's something she could understand and relate to the idea of pictures on the walls that you come in and you spend money on for work that she, for the most part, my mother would come in and be like, I don't really like that, Jonathan. And I'm like, mom, I didn't ask you. <laughs> But when she saw there was a lot of red dots and looked in the price list, she was like, Yeah, well, well so he's doing yeah. quite well for himself. Yeah, so that's what people see. They come in, they come in, they see you have a show, it's sold out, they see you have a staff, they see all this money being generated, mm -hmm. and they think, oh my God, that guy's making so much money. And don't get me wrong, I had great years. True. But I had, you know, bad months, shows that didn't sell. So for the $50,000 you made off one show, you lost $60,000 on the last, the next. And If you're an extravagant person, which I never was, um, it doesn't work. So, I mean, quite frankly, you know, what I did and how I did it was an anomaly. It was unusual. And it lasted so long and that it lasted that long and it was stupidly risky. And I ended up losing a lot of money. Um, I don't know that I would have changed it. I mean, listen, if I knew what I knew now, like five years ago, I would have done things differently. Um, but I didn't know. And, and, you know, I didn't know a lot of things that I know now. Um, and that's just life, right? So. Sure. But, uh, yeah, I don't know where I was going with this. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was losing my train. The ADD is always kicking in.
Um, yeah. Well, I have an excuse. I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in the. I'm in the happy hour here in Hamburg. So, uh, oh, we're, we're talking about being middle class, or like, yeah, yeah. As, you know, yeah, yeah, being probably seen differently from you know. Sort of yeah, the that, there's an idea that you know you're this rich person, and like, I knew, I knew, I always got that. I used to wear Rolex, right? And uh, I bought it. Was like I like watches. I don't wear a watch now. And I had this Rolex, and because I felt like I'd be at an opening, I'd be at, a, I'd be selling people this really expensive work, and I couldn't be wearing a thirty dollars Timex. And so I bought a Rolex. Now, I granted, I bought the least expensive Rolex that's out there. Like people are like, oh, you have a Rolex, twenty thousand dollars. Like, now I actually bought a retro one. It was new, but it was like old stock, and it was really simple, and it wasn't one of those big bulky sports watch. It was called a. It's like a very simple um, designer design type watch. And it was like $2,500. Now that might be a lot of money for people, but for Rolex, it's like the cheapest one on the market. And it was just like, that was my bling. Cause I had to be like, well, I'm selling 20, 30, 40, $50,000 paintings. And the the, the thing was, you'd be generating all this money, but when you have 10 employees, Mm. you're like, yeah, I just generated a hundred thousand dollars and it's all going into their pockets. And I get a little piece. I mean, the whole time I lived in like a little apartment in New Jersey, I didn't, and I didn't pay much rent and I drove a Hyundai Elantra. I still drive a Hyundai Elantra, (laughs) which I can see if I look out my window and I live in a really small house in the suburbs of New Jersey. And I don't live in an upper middle. I live in a middle-class town. There's people in my town that are upper middle-class and their big houses, but I live on the street. We joke that it's the hood. I live on the hood street. It's like the more working class. What used to be the more working class part of town because the town is is changing property values going up because it's, it's got a good school system, blah, blah, blah. But um, it's like, yeah, that's it. That's, I'm that guy you wouldn't know. I sit in my lawn chair in the summer like my old Italian grandfather, you know, a little trashy, sitting in the driveway, drinking a coffee, doing my work on my computer. You know, that's it. So that's not exactly what people think of I me mean, my get my my artists kind of know that if they really know me uh but the general public doesn't you know you go to these fancy parties you wear a suit with all these rich people rubbing elbows stars all that kind of stuff you know that's what it used to be like new york city you know yeah. or miami or whatever i mean quite honestly i don't really have an interest in that anymore it was fun but these days i don't really care too much about that but yeah, yeah I'm- so- it comes to the point where, you know, sort of art is still in many areas a luxury item for yeah. people to buy, and it's not properly democratized yet. I mean, we have a show now on that has very cheap works as well. Some are more expensive, but most of them are quite affordable. And you actually see, you know, sort of people coming back who are always buying why not one or two smaller pieces a year or. Even Melvin's friends have, you know, they have, we have, I think, a few acquisitions from Melvin's friends who are 22 and basically still in university or in their first jobs and stuff like that. So I think it's, it's, yeah, I think it's, it's a, it's a Richmond's game if you come to a certain extent of, of, of the, the financials of an artwork. But I've never had an interest in being, playing a part in that. You know, I mean, if, if people don't accept, you know, I mean, I think people like, what's different about you as a person, as a gallerist and okay. Some galleries, the, the galleries needs to um, impress through 
trying to play on the same field as the wealthy people that buy the expensive art. Uh, but I think, you know, sort of uh, most people that I know that I'm dealing with, they have a good understanding of what I am. My, I mean, my Rolexes and Jaguars, that's my two sons, you know. I mean, that's, they're so crazy expensive. Um, and uh, and also don't drive a, a new car. I drive an American. I drive an Astro van that I bought over 10 years ago for 3,000 euros and that I have put a lot of work in and it's still very solid. And the, the most important thing aspect of that car is it's big and it's a van. You know, I can put stuff in there and I'm building lots of things. I think the biggest luxury that I've actually experienced in my life outside of my family is that, that this house in the countryside, you know, but that was not very expensive. It's a lot of work, which I fortunately can do and i think that the money that i the luxury goods that i have that's my tools i invest in my tools they're expensive but then again it's not luxury because if i would with the amount of work that i'm doing if i buy the 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 cheap stuff and i buy 10 screwdrivers you know so in the time that you know sort of or drills that my drill will you know sort of will probably be i can probably pass that on to my kids you know, at a certain point, but, but that's, that's the thing. I think, I think the luxury that I'm having is that I, I'm, I'm working in this field that I, because I love art so much and that I, you know, sort of, I've been creating art since I can think and that I'm finally in a position also with Helium Kawa, I was, I was in a position where I could create my art and where it was seen by people. And it was not just something that I was doing in, in a back room somewhere, but, but there was interaction and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm privileged in, the, in terms that, you know, actually most of my work sells at some point. You know, that's good. You know, I mean, I've, I have, I see prices that artists sometimes now call up for their works. Um, and, you know, being gallerists, understanding the business, it's very easy for me to calculate what their factor is, where, where they see themselves, and they're 25 or 35, and they are three times, ten times as expensive as, say, Jeff Soto even, or Victor Castillo, who have been in the game for a long time, who have good, solid prices, but who have never gone crazy over their prices. You know, I mean, look at Jeff. I mean, he could just say, well, boom, you know, I'm a famous artist. If these artists, you know, they sell their work for 50,000, you know, their little drawings, I can do that myself. But he knows that there has to be a market for it. You know, but now, you know, sort of a lot of younger artists don't have that perspective anymore. And and I'm I'm, you know, sort of I'm I'm perfectly happy with where I am, you know. And now I'm happy because I have the time to actually just just do that. But but yeah, I think that one thing I wanted to ask you to get get back to the to the off the record business part of this of this talk with you. Um um, you know, sort of right now, galleries are in a position that they've kind of, kind of sneaked a little bit their way into this. They, you know, sort of they got the attention that it's important to support art. It's difficult to sell, but then again, it was always difficult to sell. And okay, now the 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 whole lockdown situation has gone on for too long for many galleries. But usually, as a gallery, if you don't have room to not make money for a couple of months then you shouldn't do a gallery in the first place because you have not understand understood the business you know because you need you need to, simply you need to be able to survive for a couple of months without you know sort of selling artworks so right. that's kind of that's kind of the stretch that you have to kind of be in financially right. in terms of your liquidity as a gallery right if you're just making one show and it runs great you buy the car and you buy just like you know more material and do print big fat catalogs for the artists and then three shows are just mediocre or not working at all then you're bankrupt right you know? so then you just like a gallery that exists for a year 
Right. And and I think now we're getting to a critical phase where uh, you know sort of you know galleries a lot of small business, but we talk about galleries, so let's talk about galleries. Will face reality. Do you do you personally think that you know sort of galleries will a lot of galleries will close through this? You know, I'm not really sure. I mean, I think all that that the pandemic did was push things in the direction they were going in already um, for like a lot of people. So I think probably, yeah, it could be that some new way of dealing is going to happen. But at the same time, artists are, you know, they're, they're, they're basically, they're to some extent function as their own gallerists. A lot of them are. And I think typically what happens, and it all depends on the artist. Some artists will like be like, I never want to deal my own work. And they'll have like some kind of manager because that's just how they are. And then other artists will be like, they like to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and then some artists will want to work with a gallery. So, but I mean, we're like not, we're still really necessary, but the return isn't worth it for most people to do. I'm in a unique situation because I did this for a while so I can continue to do it in some capacity. But I realize my situation is different than most gallerists. So honestly, I don't know. And be honest with you, I don't really care. Um, I really don't care because it's really kind of the whole thing is really boring to me these days in terms of galleries and how they function and why they function and the way people see it and how much it's about commerce and how much like I don't want to try to the minute I have I work start working with artists and they start they start becoming successful they always want more and more and more and more and you know what I'm really not interested in that you know like I'm it's one thing if you're young and you're hungry and you're ready to do that but you know I don't want to just live and be surviving all the time. I don't want that to be my success. Oh, I ran a gallery. So you're successful. Yeah. But you and I are at a certain age and this will always come up because it is, a, if I was 10, 15 years younger, I wouldn't even be having these conversations. I'd just be more idealistic and just going for it, which I did mm -hmm. because I'm 52. I'm looking at the rest of my life and the things that come with that, like your parents are getting older, your parents are deceased. Mm -hmm. um, you're watching people, you realize, oh, that's not necessarily that far away from me. And I have to start, I'm slowing down. And also I have to just think about how am I going to, this is the average person, mm -hmm. not a rich, if you're a rich person, you don't think about this stuff at all. But the average person, which is most of us, you have to kind of go like creatives and stuff. You're like, well, how am I going to survive now? You know, I don't have, I'm not married. I'm single. I don't have children. Um, I don't have some giant trust fund. I don't have, I'm not inheriting all this money. None of that stuff's happening. So I'm thinking about how I need to save for the future so I can retire and be happy and healthy. Um, so I don't know where, where was I going with this? I mean, that's kind of my focus now. If I was younger, I wouldn't care. But now that I'm older, that's kind of how I think about this. It was about, it's, it's about, you know, sort of if you just, look, I mean, if galleries will close now during this, the pressure that they're, that they're on. Oh but. yeah. It's just like, it doesn't, it's not like the gallery world is just not interesting me. Mm -hmm. I, I live outside of New York city, like the biggest international um, art market in the world, but it's really just not very interesting. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I at this stage, I feel like I feel like a lot of it's really gross and not something I'm interested in. If it's not mm-hmm. authentic, and it's really I think it's very hard for something authentic to grow now in that environment. It just the minute it starts something starts to get buzzed, everyone's on it. And it's so trend-based and it's everything's just changing so quickly all the time. People aren't really invested in anything. It doesn't really interest me. Um, and I can't say that I'm – that doesn't excite me. You know, I'm excited in other – I'm actually excited about other creative endeavors, actually. But I think that's, that's, I think that's, a, that's, that's a luxury in itself. I think what you just said, when you were 10 years or if you would be 10 years or 15 years younger, you'd be more idealistic as you were at that time. Um, but I think personally, I think that's – Unless, of course, you're frustrated by what's happening um, and that you're maybe not part of the things that are happening now, are is that the one thing is that you can actually lean back and say, well, I did all that different ways, of course. You know, I, th- I, I did all that, but I'm, I'm, I don't necessarily have to be part of the idealistic part anymore because I can just think about what's good for me now, you know, what's important to me. If you say you, I don't know, how long... You don't even know what ha- what's going to happen with Jonathan Levine Gallery or Projects, as it's called now. Um, but a lot of things can happen. You know, I mean, you can find this super energetic person that 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 you believe in could be, you know, sort of taking the whole thing on and you know, sort of be somebody who has a physical space and runs it and no. with different perspectives. No. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm just, you know, sort of just, you know. Well, what, what I say to you is, I'm thinking about it in a completely different way. Yeah. To be honest with you, and all I'm saying is that that's the luxury that you have that you didn't have 10 years ago because you were still only 40 and you would still had to think, where am I with 50? And now I just have to think about, well, you just have well, to think I mean, about I, retirement. I actually can probably I can make the same amount of money I used to make with mm-hmm. a lot less headache, and now I'm just interested in interesting things and things that fulfill me, and um, and I'll see where that goes. And I have enough, I have faith that something good's going to happen, and. I, this is a period of my ta- life where I now get to, and not to say it's going to happen very quickly or it's happened very quickly, where I get to be, where I get to actually just be happy and do fun shit um, if I want to and be okay financially. And, you know, the Jonathan Levine gallery happened and existed and I don't need to recreate that. And that's part of my legacy. And that was the hard work. And, there's no reason to go back and recreate that because it's over. Yeah. It's just over. And the stuff that I'm excited about now is I'll throw this out here. You'll probably think this is very funny is, uh, one of the things I've been thinking about like now, and maybe in the six months he talked to me about this. I'm like, yeah, I'm not really into that anymore, but right now <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, I, uh, I became an elk. What? You don't even know what that is, do you? No. Anyone who's listening to this who's an American may kind of know what that is. I joined a fraternal organization, this very American working class fraternal organization that's been around for over 100 years. It was actually started by artists in the – by performers in the around 18 – late eight, 1860s, eight, late 1860s. And it originally was called the Jolly Corks. And it was a social club. Then it turned into the Elks and they raise money for their focuses is to raise money for um, 
for veterans, for special needs kids. They also give out a lot of scholarship money. And basically like every town in America has an Elks club. Mm-hmm. And in the Elks club is a bar and good. you join and you, get, you have to be an Elks member to go into the bar. Okay. okay. And beers are really cheap. It's like $3 a beer. Right. Mm-hmm. But they have like a hall that you can rent out and they do different sort of things. And it's like the average age of an elk is like 60. It's like old people do it, right? Mm -hmm. So I've become a member and I'm really excited about it because I'm going to – I'm planning on bringing artists into it and getting art involved in it and raising money Mm -hmm. to help these different – you know, their different philanthropic programs through the art. So like to me – I'm excited about that. I'm excited about, I'm trying to get my, what's called the, the exultant ruler who's in charge of my lodge. Donna, we have a woman exultant ruler. I'm trying to get her to bring back the fez so that the lodge at certain events, we wear a fez. You know what a fez is? No, this head. Yeah. Head. You know, it's a head. That's right. And I've been, I've been researching fezes, how we can have them done really affordably. And I found like a dis- person who manufactures them, where I can get it embroidered. I'm all excited about this. So this is the kind of goofy ass shit that makes me happy while I am doing my business. And I've actually talked to Shag, the artist Shag, about doing some stuff because he does a lot of paintings with like a different philanthropic group called the Shriners who Mm -hmm. wear fezes. Because there's all these philanthropic um, organizations in the U.S., be it the Freemasons, the Shriners, the Elks, the the Moose Lodge, uh, the VFW. We have this history, and it's very old school. It's like very 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s things. And these organizations are kind of dying, but they have really cool principles behind them. So I'm interested in like getting involved and sort of, at least for my lodge, helping them kind of like, you know, sort of revitalize it a little bit. So, and I want to do that with the arts through the arts. So yeah, for me, that's exciting. Yeah. Well, I mean, it totally is. I mean, you had the other stuff. That's also, I mean, there's, there's no goal for me to be on any kind of, I mean, great big fair with a great big booth because you know, done that. It's, it's so boring. Yeah. It's fucking boring. I mean, it's, it's like, so it, yeah. What people don't really understand is that if you are a gallery, even it doesn't matter if, I mean, if you sell, it's fine. It's nice. But being on a fair is, it's very exhausting and super boring. I I want the art to some extent. I want to, some of what I do doesn't have to be all of it. But if I'm putting that kind of energy into something, it's got to be transformative. And it can't just be about commerce. And if it's just about commerce and I'm losing fucking money, forget about it. Because it's, you know, running a gallery is a grind. It can become very boring. Sometimes you got to step back from it. And going to art fairs and being on that circuit, it's all about commerce. And if I'm going to just be about commerce, Mm -hmm. I'm going to sell something else with a lot less a headache. And I'm sure I've said this before in this podcast. Like, I'm going to sell widgets. You know, I'm going to sell doorstops. I'm going to sell... Anything, I'm going to just sell gadgets, you know, like that people don't really need that cost 20 bucks, you know, like and I'm going to sell a lot of them, you know, like I'm going to just, if I'm going to just do commerce, then that's going to be a lot less of a headache commerce. Um, 
art's supposed to be for me and for you, we're supposed to enjoy it. It's supposed to be transformative. You know, you're supposed to, and when it's not, it just gets to the point where like, why am I doing this? So. Yeah. From my perspective, I love, I like watching Melvin doing this, you know, I mean, I enjoyed this, uh, the opening because, you know, there's one thing about the opening of this show we did. They had to do this over the whole weekend. And initially we had planned that we actually have a tattoo artist in the gallery now who comes here six days a month to tattoo. He's one of our, our regular artists, Fabian Wolf, uh, who's, uh, who we actually, I've actually worked with in 2007. Then we kind of lost contact over a while before a few years now. We show him. He's very dark, but very funny. <laughs> um, and um, and he started to tattoo this summer again because he said, well, I can make money with tattoos and not with art right now because people always get tattooed during pandemic if they are allowed to. And then, you know, so once we, we had him here for a month and then this got shut down in Germany, you can't tattoo shops have to close now. And at that opening, it was planned that there was he was tattooing people. You know, you could buy a little flash that he drew up. Very funny things dark things you know but you could buy them and get them to do right at the show so we couldn't do that it was all set up um or Melvin couldn't do that you know so it was all set up but and we only had eight people every half hour in here and then i said to melvin because i like to i like my you know i like to be in the countryside a lot you know in this house there's a lot of work to do and i have my studio there so when i'm there i'm basically jumping between doing some repairs on the house doing some uh, restoration projects um working on the tractor working on my workshop um working on the garden house working in the garden and working in the studio that's what, what i do there i'm always busy i make more miles there during a day than i make in hamburg in a week almost you know personally being around all the time so I said, well, Melvin, um, what about the weekend? I mean, it's like eight people every half hour. It's, you know, so it's good booking. People are booking the slots. It's nice, you know, so you're going to be crowded. Sort of, you know, do you want me want me to be there or do you think I'm in the way? Because I'm still, you know, for most people, I am the helium cowboy. You know? So um, that was my thinking. Should I be away so that you have your own opening and nobody's there distracting them? You know, so Melvin, is he just like, like he is you know he's with his nice fine humor but also with a lot of empathy uh empathy he just said well you know wouldn't you think it would be nice if you'd be there because you're an artist of the show you know so that's what i'm always thinking you know looking at the gallery's perspective of course if an artist could be here he should be at the show he or she should be at the show but i didn't even think that far you know for him it was important that i be here drink my beers and just be there, be present as an artist if he needs me as an artist or if, you know, people like, you know, sort of to meet the artist, even though most of them, of course, know women. But that was, that was kind of nice. And I think, and I think that is, that is what's, what's, what's nice for me to look at the gallery part. But other than that, I'm, I'm seriously, I'm not really interested in it anymore. It's not that I have, I don't have the luxury of having 10 galleries, uh, um, representing me there was always an issue with me doing both things you know and that's a whole different topic and i mean you've shown you've exhibited me you understand that there's no conflict but for a lot of people it's it's still difficult and and the and one of the galleries that i had actually representing me they basically you know sort of i mean not necessarily for that reason but we decided to not continue working again the moment that i you know passed over the torch to melvin and i'm basically free all the time as an artist but it's 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 a process you know and then of course 
is nice for for me somebody understanding this kind of business how important a gallery is this but i don't want to i don't want to show in all all the galleries that are around now you know i much rather not um i want to work with people like you for example who understand you know sort of you know why why who who ask themselves why do i show this artist uh and what do i want of this artist and and who also can transfer the process and not just say this work sells really nicely it comes in three different colors you know so like not a salesman i want somebody who just like wants to be in it with me and say oh you want to do that shit just do it go ahead and do it you know and that's probably a rare, a rare find but i mean that's other than that i think looking at galleries going back to what i was asking you if galleries will close this or we're just i mean people who follow us they need to you know go long ways to come back to the point will galleries close through this thing i think there's a couple of galleries already have closed at least for a certain amount of time you know i i it yeah. seems to me that uh that people have done okay actually and yeah, that's what i wanted to say it's some people galleries will of course close and i think it's some galleries just i mean it's it's probably good it's not it's it's mean to say that it's a good opportunity now to close, but it's running a gallery is always exhausting. If somebody should decide not doing it anymore, we should be there and sympathize with this person to take that step and say, okay, just it's hard to work this. But I also think there's, you know, because galleries get some attention now that they haven't done before, haven't gotten before, and some galleries think about different ways. It's a hard time now, but I think if you get through this as a gallery, um, and and use the time, you know, so to build different things in your career, maybe relations to artists, maybe relationships to clients, maybe um, uh, uh, looking into online, looking into, uh, we have this gallery Affenfalls in Hamburg, they're actually now in the retailer business because they're doing all these puzzles now, which can be a, a profitable sidearm of a gallery business. So then you take that, you make this shop, you be online, you're present, you take that money and do great exhibitions. And you not you be a little bit more relaxed about those shows. That's also a concept that might Yeah, work. I mean, I, I guess it seems like it, it doesn't mean a gallery is the thing that popped in my head is like you're talking about gallery, like someone just has a physical space that they're putting shows yeah, yeah. on. Yeah. Because like maybe more people go online. Does that not, I mean, like I don't, Am I a gallery or I'm not a gallery? I think people kind of still think of me as a gallery, even though I don't actually physically have one. Um, and they're really sometimes confused about that. But, uh, but we agreed upon that being boring just online. Right. That's true. It is boring, but it's what I do. Okay. It's like, <laughs> no, I mean, not, I mean, yeah. What I'm saying is like, <laughs> I'm not trying to do anything more with it than I yeah. have. Been. Like, I mean, besides like making some, I'm not shoving, look at this content, look at this content, look at this content. Like yeah. I'm not doing that. That's also, I, don't, I don't need to do that. That's not mm -hmm. authentic. You know, I'm like, here's a new body of work. This is an artist I believe in. Here's their information. Here's a little video. So you got to know them more. I mean, the fact of the matter is I was doing the majority of my line on business just like this. Don't get me wrong. Having the physical space allows, gives a certain kind of value to it. But the trade-off isn't worth it. Now, I'll put it to you this way. If I start working with certain artists that I'm working with and they start doing really well where they're, we're making so much money, they're like, Jonathan, I'd really like to have a physical exhibition, then we'll do that. But if they're not generating enough money to do that, I'm not doing that. I'm not taking that risk. And 
I'm not going to just take a risk and go like, do what you want, like you're talking about, because I can't do that. I did that. I lost millions of dollars doing that. Let me say it again. Millions of dollars doing working middle class guy losing millions of dollars because I really believed in this. But I'm at a point in my life where I'm not I'm not going to I can't do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. And the return is not there. One thing if you do that, you lose money sometimes. Another thing you start doing that and you're losing tons and tons and tons of money, you put yourself in a hole not doing that. So it'll just depend. It's going to be organic. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, I haven't really been paying too much attention to other galleries because quite frankly, again, the whole thing is really boring to me. I've probably been paying a little bit more attention to artists, but I really haven't been hunting them. Truthfully, I find them on Instagram. I don't read the art news at all anymore because I just needed to take a break from it all because I just, when you've done something so long, sometimes you need a break. So I'm like, it's semi-hibernation. But sometimes what happens is something just pops up. A lot of times I just find artists without really looking for them. And I start a conversation with, I was like, oh, that works pretty cool. And I cool. And then they respond. They knew who I am. And I ask them some questions about the work. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if this artist, is this an artist I want to work with? I wonder if this artist wants to do an online show. And quite frankly, a lot of them do. And I'm kind of like, do I want to put their energy into this? Because even though I, there's a lot of work I like a lot that I know is not going to sell. So there's a lot of work I like that doesn't sell. Just so you guys know, art that I love doesn't sell. Mm-hmm. A lot of art that I love doesn't sell. So I can't just give someone a show because I love their work because that doesn't mean it's going to sell. So, you know, I find work that I like and it seems like the artist is doing okay. And I'll be like, all right, well, let's give that a shot. I, lately I've been working, I'm going to be showing a lot of work that's just like minimalist abstract work that's kind of like geometric and uh, almost kind of designy um, that I'm interested in because like, I don't need to always show lowbrow work or street art or whatever. Like, you know, I did that and I will continue to do that. If somebody shows up that I really believe in, I don't need to keep showing more artists like that. I showed, I showed the greatest artist in my opinion of that generation. Yes, I showed, I showed them. Thank you. And I still work with them and I still believe in them. So I don't need to show more people who are mimicking that. Occasionally one will come through. That's really amazing. I'm like, okay, that doesn't mean I literally, I see so much artwork I like online all the time, but that doesn't mean I'm going to represent that artist because I know how hard it is. Even if I love an artwork and I think it's really great, it doesn't mean it's going to sell. So that's unfortunate. And I, I, I really have empathy to say this to artists out there. I'm saying this, right? I'm so harsh sometimes on this show, but I, it's true, but I love artists and I love artwork and I love how talented people are. And I have so much empathy for them. There's so many of them though. And there's very, so few of us and of like people representing artists, gallerists, art dealers. And while as much as you, I love your work, I can't take that risk. You know, like this is my life, you know, I'm, I'm nobody special in a lot of ways. You know, I'm like, maybe people think I am and I, I appreciate the people giving me recognition, but like at the end of the day, I have to, I have a mortgage to pay. I'm not sitting all this money. I don't have all this of myself to give, you know, and I really just don't. I did that. I, I did that for a while and I could, but now I, I can't. 
So, but my, I have empathy for all these really talented, amazing artists out there that, you know, I just want to say that it's, but it's, you know, there's way more artists than there will be dealers and it's just not an easy business and it's never going to be, you know? And so, you know, it's like, I feel bad for all these really amazing artists, but you know, it is what it is. I feel bad for these kids starving in Africa too. Um, yeah. I yeah, feel bad for the poor in the world as well. You know, it's like, I feel, I feel bad. Can't take care of everyone though. Yeah, no, but I mean, it's, you know, so you, when you're a very famous um, gallery owner and, uh, and we've both, you know, sort of managed to create some history of our own and, and, and be part of, of a certain uh, um, time in, 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 in the development of, a, of, of, of art, you know, sort of throughout the, you know, I don't know, 2000s. Um, and, um, and I think that, that of course you have, we have a different responsibility towards artists. So even though I don't have a gallery anymore, I feel that responsibility towards artists, but more in terms of, um, you know, this podcast is probably something, you know, that a lot of young artists listen to or artists that are looking for, you know, sort of ways to get, get into the crazy business. And, um, and I think that's something we can do. And, and I see a lot of great art as well. And I know that, you know, so I look at artist profiles and I see, wow, this is amazing, but it's probably not going to happen or maybe it is going to happen. And, and, and one thing that we can tell, uh, I think artists, especially now with the, with the huge oversaturation saturation visually on, on, because I mean, let's face it, the window to the outside world for most of these people now is not going to local galleries, to the shows, hanging out there, um, you know, just talk about pre-COVID and, you know, sort of once this is over, when you actually, you know, what young artists did, you know, sort of just go to the exhibitions, try to mingle, try to get, try to, try to meet with Jeff Soto at a show. You know, try to meet with Victor Castillo at a show. Try to, you know, sort of pick their brains at that particular moment. You know, talk, you know, sort of get the feeling of, of an exhibition. Maybe, you know, sort of do own exhibitions on your own somewhere out. You know, sort of try to invite people that later recommend this. You know, somebody comes to you that you really appreciate uh, the opinion of and says, I was at this exhibition. I saw this young artist, you know, like the way it was before. Now the window is Instagram. So everybody's focusing on that. Mm -hmm. And it can, of course, be super frustrating for, for mm -hmm. artists to look out there. Oh, he's got another 10,000 followers. How do I get there? But this is the one thing you can say is that the amount of followers doesn't matter. You need to find the Jonathan who says, all right, I'll take the risk. I want this so bad that I talk to this person, that I invite this person, that I put this person into an exhibition and then we'll see. And you're not even there yet. But at least you've shown with a good gallery. Yeah. That's right. I mean, it, I, I think it's really important you say this, and people probably know this, but they don't know this. The amount of followers an artist has does not mean that they're selling a lot of work. For whatever reason, it may be that they just have a lot of followers because people respond, and they, they maybe have like all 18 to 25-year-olds who think their shit's cool, but they don't spend money. And then you'll have another artist who's got like 5,000 followers, and they're selling their shows out. Um, and the people who have a lot of followers oftentimes extremely engaged in it because it's feeding their ego, their Instagram famous, whatever. You know, like my my Instagram account has like 145,000 followers. It used to be more. I, I've lost some. And um, 
because of algorithms and all that. And I, and the way they make it work is like, you have to engage it in a certain way to get people to, you know, engage with you. And blah. I don't have time. I do it. I, I keep up with it, but I was like, I don't have time to spend all my, t- because that's not what sells work really at the end of the day. And my collectors are certain types of people. And like, they're usually not as engaged as Instagram as you'd think. Mm-hmm. They're just, you know, it's not, for me, it's not fulfilling. And I don't think it's fulfilling for a lot of other people. I mean, I think for me, everything was much better prior to us having this much technology. Um, I think it's made things a lot less interesting and a lot less exciting. And I mean, at the end of the day, you want to be around people and interacting with people and experiencing things that way. And people are doing that less and less. So, but I also think there's some silver linings. Like I think I could probably down the road and I'm not ready to do this yet get away with opening a gallery like in the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. and it being really successful. I couldn't have done that before Um, because there's a a thought in my head. I was like, well, if I had this piece of property in an interesting place that like, let's say for example, I went back to my hometown, which is the city of Trenton, which is this old industrial city between Philadelphia and New York. It's got a a really cool history. Um, It's a small city. It's a pretty ghetto city. Um, but I love it there. Uh, but it's not like, it's not like this culturally rich place. I mean, it is in some ways, but not in the way that people think it's rich and it's got a large Guatemalan population. It's got a very large racially mixed population. Um, you know, it's got a cool history. So like, I mean, it's got culture in ways that other places don't, but not the kind of like hipster art culture, but I could have a really cool building there. Like I buy for nothing have an amazing space to do shows with. Does it mean a lot of people are going to show up? Not necessarily. Um, I don't know, but I might be able to do that down the road just because it's fun for me. <laughs> That's all. Just because it's fun for me. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. I don't know. I'm thinking about doing some exhibitions with certain artists. I'm not going to give up my secrets in unusual places mm-hmm. um, that aren't New York City but in unusual places that are like, Oh wow, that's really cool. How weird. And it'll be a special, very special thing. So people will show up to it. Um, because I think those things are important to do and they're fun, but I won't do them very often. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's nice to, that part's still nice, but it's gotta, there's gotta be a really strong reason to put the effort and emphasis into it. Yeah. It's gotta, it's gotta make sense. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good word. It's got to make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't you don't want to experiment too much now. I mean, you don't have to experiment because you know so many things. So I think um, thinking about doing exhibitions in I don't know remote places or extreme places that's probably nice. I've been I've been thinking together with a friend of mine who is um, he's actually a, a craftsman and he's he's always been an artist since I've met him. But he's never made any fortunes with his art. It's, I think, this last exhibition was in two thousand five with Helium Cowboy in Hamburg, uh, and that was because I liked him so much. I thought his ideas are crazy, and they, 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 they had to be shown. And they, that was a really crazy exhibition. It was good, you know. The reception was 
amazing and sets were good too because i mean it was didn't cost much at that time it was it was good good fun but he never made you know so he's, he's he's not really an artist i mean in his heart he's an artist and he's still creating work but nobody's seeing that and and where where are houses you know this is like in the middle of nowhere uh, there are these meadows, you know, like with the cows on them from from our neighbor, the, the the farmer who has all the cows there running around. It's nothing on that on those fields every year in summer. There's a music festival. It's the only time that people drive the driveway, the road that leads to a house, which is just one other farmer farmhouse on that road. It's like 800 meters long. Nobody drives there, you know, except when the mailman comes or when we come or visitors come but that's the time of the year when that rock music festival is hundreds of cars drive there because they all camp on the meadow just right outside of our house <laughs> it's 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 amazing it's beautiful and 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 the guy who runs this fence this festival is called enzo and the guy who runs this is called en his name is enzo um Ma uh, mario and i we want to build him at some point we wanted to do it this year but of course this year was fucked but maybe next year we want to build a sculpture from wood because that's what we can do i mean we both are really good craftsmen we want to build a fantastic sculpture and burn it okay now given that you're american you might have heard of burning man and th sure. those things happen there but they don't happen here and i also spoke to the farmer to my neighbor who are who really, really like each other you know uh and i told him listen i know it's your meadow and we want to make a really big fire in the middle we want to build an artwork and we're going to burn it. You know and what? These are, these are my life goals in art. Yeah, no. So you know what? That sounds like it makes sense. So it's like you're burning an effigy. Is that what they say? And you're oh. and that's kind of, that's kind of a pagan thing, which is like something that existed in your country. So you're going back. <laughs> I spoke with a very famous artist, like and we, we talked about burning artworks. And he said, well, I do that all the time. It's so relieving. Just putting work. Maybe a lot of people want to have that work, but nobody has bought it yet. So why not, you know, sort of. Hey, you know, like exactly. You have to do things like why you have to do things that inspire you, that yeah. you have fun with, you know. Yeah. And like my stupid little thing the past couple of weeks was trying to figure out how I can have fezes manufactured. Yeah. And I was so excited about it. And I called my friend who's a designer. I'm like, how can we do this? How can we make this? We can make a really cool patch. And I sent him all these old <laughs> like images of the Elks Lodge, like their um logo. I'm like, let's make it cooler and let's make it different, you know, and mm -hmm. like just something goofy I'm doing, um, but I'm really excited about it. But it's also interactive, and it's like you got to have those things in your life. Yeah, you got. Right. I mean, my whole business started with that. That's how it started. It was just an obsession. It was a hobby. It was never like, oh, this would be a great way to make a living. It was not that. It was about me being involved and doing something that was fun for me. And I did it for years and didn't make money for like five, six years before I started to make money. Did it for years. So. That's where the best stuff comes out of. Mm -hmm. Totally. Jonathan. York. It's, uh, it's good talking to you again. I think re looking back at what I said earlier about my podcast, just making relevant podcasts or not. Um, but, you know, maybe we should just do this. You know, yeah. you and I getting together once a month and talk about, you know, what really matters yeah. in the art world. <laughs> I wonder if I think this is the most conversational podcast we've ever had. Maybe, yeah. Where we just but, like, we're just having a conversation. 
But that's because I'm so relaxed because we're not, you know, so talking equals anymore because I'm I'm just an artist talking to a very famous gallerist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, Jonathan, um, yeah, let's not make take uh, another 10 months, eight months. Well, listen, if for some reason I, we speak again next month, mm-hmm. we speak again next month, I'll be here. The next time we speak after that in January, Florida, I'm going to be somewhere warm and sunny. So if anyone who's listening out there, I'm going to throw this out, a couple things out to you people. All right. right? This is my, my chance to, to promote. If you happen to be down, if you're down in the Boynton Beach, Fort Lauderdale area, I'm going to be down there for four months, three months, four months. You want to invite me over, sit in your backyard, you got a bottle of tequila, it's on. Unless you're nuts, okay? Unless you're a real crazy person. But if you're an okay person, I'll come hang out with you. Uh, and secondly, if, if you guys, like, if anyone out there really wants to hang out with me, and that's really not that many people, I'm sure, but you can become a member of my, my Elks Club in Rutherford, New Jersey. <laughs> I'm there once a week, at least, when I'm not away in Florida having drinks. $3 beers, $5 whiskeys. Very cheap. So become a member of the Elks the Ruther- or any Elks club. Then you can come hang out with me in the Rutherford Elks club. It's a good cause. So I'm promoting the Elks. And All if you right. don't know what the Elks are, which I understand most people don't, look it up. And I'll say one more. What's cool about the Elks club is this. It's when you become a member of the Elks, they, it used to be they were discriminatory. But now men and women of all races, colors, religions can be in there. And you're not allowed to talk about politics or religion. So that's great, especially in, in the United States where we're so politicized. So it's a non it, – it doesn't – so I really like that about it. So You had me at bar. Yeah, but at the end of the day, <laughs> cheap drinks. And we're going to have a lot of fun there. We're going to throw like rock shows and like DJ nights and all that once COVID is over. That's one of the right. main reasons I joined. I wanted to have rock shows in my town at my bar and also to have dance parties. All right, last question. When was the last time you you you, you played with your band, Cyclone Static? It's interesting you should ask me that because we have been on hiatus, but we haven't been play- we hadn't played at all since um, COVID. But this past weekend, just a couple days ago, I went and played with one of my bandmates for a few hours. Nice. So, but you know, Cyclone Static's on hiatus until this is all over. Until better times. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, right. We still do it. It's fun. Whatever. All right, Jonathan. There's one thing you have to say still. Choose. <laughs> I'll see you. Choose. Bye.